Introducing the D'Addario Autolock, made with locking strap ends for an easy-to-use, clip-on system. When you're done, just pull the latch and slide it off. Keep your guitar on lock with D'Addario Autolock. Hey, Kurt, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Real good, man. Kurt Ballou from Converge is finally joining from your Guitars Rig Rundown. I know a lot of fans out there have been requesting this, and it only took a pandemic to get Kurt Ballou to join us on the Rig Rundown. So thank you so much for doing this. Uh, obviously, you've got Boston Roots. You're playing, playing some Aerosmith riffs on your own guitar. I think that should be the point to start, is we've already seen a Craftsman on a Rig Rundown. We did with uh, Donna from Juna. So talk to me about it because you've played a lot of instruments through the years and I'm guessing a lot of that homework and you know what you did and didn't like added up to what you designed here in your lap. Yeah, so this is um, a Craftsman Series 1. It is a um, chambered mahogany body with a spruce top. Um, clearly uh, I had some Malcolm Young aesthetic leaning tendencies um, in making just what I is a very simple just rock and roll machine um i'm in the midst of doing a second run of these um pre-orders are closed by the way but uh, I'll, I'll make more um there's going to be some series ones with wenge tops which is what uh, donna has and there's also going to be some series twos which um are essentially the same guitar but they're a solid body they have two pickups uh, and a pick guard and switches um, but the same uh, gci slug jammer pickups and yeah this thing's really great and you know um obviously like like you like you said my guitar um taste and what i've been playing live has changed a lot over the years and that has there's been a lot of evolution in my playing which i think has been partially related to the fact that I build guitars for people. Um, and initially, when I first started GCI, I was doing um, a lot of custom work for people, and people would spec all sorts of different things. And like, I would always think someone was crazy. They were like, well, I want some some Bill Lawrence pickups, and I want a Perloid pick guard, and I want, you know, I, like, obviously you want EMGs, or like, you don't want Perloid, you want Mint. Uh, like all kinds of weird stuff that every guitar, you know, every guitar player has their own like personal taste. Yeah. And it's really interesting for me to see how different that is from person to person. And something that's like obviously uh, the right choice aesthetically or sonically for one person is totally wrong for the other. And I try not to be um, too, uh, too st stuck up about that. And I think letting go of some of my early... Um, inclinations about what a guitar should look like and what a guitar should sound like actually opened me up a lot in finding um you know new tones that really spoke to me and worked for me and that is that that process began when i started recording bands when i had to like accept that like my idea of tone in my band was not the only thing that i had to be aware of and proficient at and and then that was that was furthered in what I was just talking about in trying to come up with uh, instruments that that worked well for people who weren't me and who were playing music that's different than the music that I play. Now, uh, when it comes to 
designing this and, and opening it to the public to buy it, were your tastes included in this and were they precise or were you more broad in terms of, you know, letting people, obviously you're only doing one type of run of instruments, meaning, you know, certain appointments for each instrument can't be changed and it's kind of like take it as it is thing. So when you're coming, coming to the table with this, was it more of an idea like, hey, this is what I like in a guitar and this is what people can like or not like, or were you trying to make things more of a wider palette to hopefully have people be interested in it? Both. Okay. Yeah. Both, you know, because there's things that um, there's things that I about my taste in playing that I think are outliers. Like two two things. Um, one is um, like I like an inch and three quarter wide fretboard at the nut, and not a lot of other people are comfortable with that um, because I just you know I have really big hands and I have big fingers, so having that extra spring, string spacing is really helpful for me. And um, I first got into that in playing the Rickenbacker 650s, which are like that, but you know, it's it's a little uncommon. I didn't really want to do that, at least on my initial offering. Um, this is what this is like my first like production guitar, even though I've made a lot of guitars prior to this. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted my first production guitar to, to have a fairly broad appeal. I also wanted it to be just really simple, straightforward, rock and roll machine not and not give everybody every option and i also didn't want to do custom work because um you know i also have a recording studio and i have two kids and there's a lot of other thing and i build pedals and so there's a lot of other things taking my time and i know that it would be more than a full-time job if i was trying to um appease every individual customer's um, taste and sensibilities. So, you know, I expect that people are going to do modifications to these things. They'll change the tuners. Um, they'll change the pickups if they want to. I think what I'm providing for them is great, and I don't think that they need to. Like, but people see, okay, for example, these tuners, they're open back tuners. So some people will see these and think that they're cheap tuners. They're not. The reason why I use open back tuners is because this is a chambered body. It's like incredibly resonant, snappy, and uh, lively sounding and feeling. But if I used what my preference in tuners, which are the um, the the Dario um, auto trim um, tuners or trim locks, I forget what they call them. Those things are, are a little bit heavy, and there's a little bit of like a neck dive with those mm. um, on a chambered body. But I think the tone of this chambered body is really worth it, and uh, using open back tuners cuts down the weight, so it ends up creating like a much more balanced body. So you know, I, I thought about all of those different compromises in, in order to come up with what I feel as though makes a really well balanced instrument both physically and sonically. Uh, one thing I know that you point out in a lot of interviews is the scale length. Scale length along with the, the width of the nut, is that something that you put on your own taste or your own preference uh, being 25 Yeah, these and are 25 and a half. Oh, 25 and a half. These are the, the, nut, the, nut, the nuts, um, 1 and 11 sixteenths, which is, you know, pretty, pretty standard mm -hmm. uh, middle of the road. I'm comfortable playing them. Um, one and one, you know, an extra sixteenth helps me out a little bit, um, but I'm comfortable playing inch and eleven sixteenths, and the scale length is is twenty five and a half, so like Fender style, um, you know, like twenty four and three quarters, like a Les Paul is a little more fun to play, and you get a little more like wanky stuff going on, and um, it dooms a little more, <laughs> but um, 
it's just this the tuning stability and the responsiveness of twenty of twenty five and a half uh, works really well for me and what I do. So you know this is this is a guitar I'm going to play in Converge. Gotcha. For sure. And then um, before we move on to anything else, is uh, for the pickup for like what people are going to get off the shelf or through your website, and then what have you been using with this uh, specific guitar and, and in conjunction with other GCI stuff? Because I know you've uh, previously used the Hetfield from the EMG, and then I know recently the Lawler DB's been a favorite, so kind of three questions in one. Oh yeah, Lawler DB is killer. The Lawler DB is like a really deep sounding um, pickup, but it has still has a lot of articulation. So a lot of times like deep deep sounding pickups end up being muddy, but for whatever reason, whatever magic Lawler does, like they're, they've been able to make something that's still really articulate. Um, and I, I really do like that pickup, but I, I think I also just like that that dual blade format mm -hmm. um like bill lawrence stuff is cool um i have this neat wild customs guitar that has a pickup made by a french company called sp customs that's a great pickup um currently i have a an earlier prototype of of the craftsman that's um that's uh, a wenge a dark wenge top it almost looks black that one had the lawler in it for a while uh, but right now has an Avidician dual blade pickup that's, it's not quite as deep as the Lawler, but it has a little more sparkle. Um, so I've been, in, I've been enjoying that lately. Um, the company I have wanting these pickups for me, um, they're, they're, I ended up liking the results that we were getting from these oversized slugs better than um, the blades that they were using. So that's why that's why we came up with this thing called the Slug Jammer. Um, and I think this thing's great too. I'm going to be, I'm going to be using this uh, for upcoming converse shows. Cool. And is there anything that you gave to the to the pickup winder, like in terms of like like specs or uh, like you know certain ranges you wanted the wines to be, or you know, maybe other pickups that they you know, can kind of reference? I did. I gave them pickups to reference, and I, I know I found I, I the and I referenced some other pickups that this particular factory had mm -hmm. been making themselves. You know, because like you give. Based on like you know metallurgy is not the same everywhere, right? So like North American metallurgy and European metallurgy and Asian metallurgy and the different parts of Asia, like the metallurgy is different. So like you spec a certain a certain wire and a certain type of magnet and all that, they're not going to be the same based on where those things are sourced. So it's it's relevant, but only to a point. So I, f I felt like getting some pickups from this actual winder and then making comparisons based on what they had built before um, was more useful to me than saying like, well, I want it to be a mix of the James Hatfield and the DB or, you know, saying like how many windings I wanted or which type of magnets I wanted or which type of base plates. And um, so, you know, it was an iterative process, but I'm also like the pickup thing is still one of those, like, I know it's not, people say it's a black art, but I know it's not. Um, but it's a still, it's still one of those things that I don't fully understand myself. So rather than, try to micromanage someone i just i you know i basically said you guys know what you're doing better than me here's where i'm trying to get and give send me send me a few options on what you think i'm going for and then let's tweak from there gotcha and then to put a bow on the pickup discussion uh, like i said i know that before you used active pickups specifically the james headfield is that something you're still using because i know you, you liked you had mentioned previously how that interacts with a lot of your older gear that the newer active pickups yeah i haven't played um i haven't played active pickups live very much lately um but i have been um you know i've definitely st still recording with them particularly when using like my my older amps you know like 
historically I've done a lot of recording with like you know old JMPs, V4s, like Gibson Titans and Gibson Invaders, like you know kind of clunky old tube amps that are not meant to go chugga chugga and I sort of <laughs> forced them into going chugga chugga. And you know the classic way to do that is to put a tube screamer or some kind of you know distortion pedal that starves the low end in front of it um, to tighten up that sound and to to sort of hammer the first tube stage into oblivion and get it to saturate nice and um, you know I do that too but also throwing an EMG in the mix which is you know a little light on the bottom and definitely tight on the bottom end is a way that you can get a responsive more modern sound out of a vintage amp you know like if I had like had like a you know a diesel or um, you know a Uber shawl or something like that when I was 18 maybe I would have happened upon um, passive pickups as being like the best choice to suit my amps but no I had like a $99 trainer YRM that I got at Daddy's Junkie Music and I needed to find a way to like you know hammer the front end of that in order to make it sound metallic and so for me doing the way to do that was a Boss OS2 and uh, an EMG85. Isn't it funny like how our, our you know, we get to a certain point later in our lives and careers where you're able to get things and have experimented with so many things to know what you're after trying to get. But early on, it's literally about what you can get your hands on, more importantly, probably what you can afford. And that shaped your tone or yeah, your head. And I love that. And so, like, when I record bands, I rarely try to uh, change them at first. I want to hear what they're using when they come to the studio and what and set up what they think sounds good. And then, you know, I might have a conversation with them and ask, like, is this the tone you want or is this the tone you have? And, you know, sometimes <laughs> they're the same. Sometimes they're not. But, like, sometimes, like, you know what I see a lot is, like, someone used to play in one kind of band and then they end up joining a band that's a different style, but they take the gear with them to the new band. And sometimes that creates a really unique sound that is a, a major strength of the band. You know, and in other cases, that's just the wrong choice. But um, there is a lot of merit to finding a way to work with the stuff you have in creating a unique sound palette for, for your compositions. Before we move on to anything else, Kurt, I think it's, uh, you know, what strings are you using on this guitar and, uh, you know, on a night that you would be playing with Converge to keep this video having a theme, uh, what tunings do you use for Converge? Um, well, these strings are um, a, a Diodario NYXL. I always experiment with other things here and there. Like, I, I've tried some String Joy strings lately, which are pretty cool, but, like, I keep coming back to the NYXLs. Um, I am a, a Diderio artist, but I still have to pay for them. <laughs> and I would, you know, I think I would buy them regardless because I think they're really awesome strings. Um, and I'm playing the yellow. Oh, this is a Dunlop, but I usually play the yellow Diderio ones. I, I picks. I just have a bag of random picks and grab whatever's around. Um, and then, as far as tuning goes, my basic tuning is um, usually a little out of tune uh, D standard. And then there's all sorts of other things I do. One of my favorites is um, uh, a, bit, a, little, a little tuning I call Open Slayer, which is uh, <laughs> C, F sharp, C, F sharp, C, F sharp, C, F sharp. Wait, did I just do eight strings? If I did eight strings, I didn't mean to. Um, but yeah, just it's there was like a Sonic Youth tuning. I think it was like C, F, C, F, C, F. I was like, all right, well, what could make Sonic Youth sound more like Slayer? And it's C, F sharp, C, F sharp, C, F sharp. <laughs> 
because uh, you know if you if you, honestly if you break if you take Converge and break it down to its sort of core elements, it's pretty much Sonic Youth meets Slayer, that's with maybe some like Boston hardcore in there, uh, or New York hardcore. That's a in good there or formula. Something. But that, I was in a band once that had a brief, uh, briefly was called Sonic Youth Crew, because uh, <laughs> we were sort of blending that like no wave vibe with like youth crew new york hardcore i guess i don't know um but yeah that's so so yeah and then the, there's also this converged tuning that like i actually used to care about keeping it a secret and i don't really care about it being a secret anymore but now i like to i want to challenge people to figure out what it is uh -huh. um and it's uh it's the tuning that i've since starting with like Jane Doe, it's it's probably the most common tuning for Converge songs, and um, one of the notes is G sharp. <laughs> so, and I, it's it's interesting. Once in a while, people will send me like um, somebody doing playthrough videos of Converge songs on on YouTube, and they're usually doing it in a more conventional tuning, and it just looks so much harder. Like they were like <laughs> like trying to get to all the notes, but it's like no no, it's actually like pretty easy. Alternate tunings are fun because, like, you happen upon different stuff. You know, I think most guitar players, like, when they write music, they just kind of like sit down and um, noodle around and some until they find something that feels cool. And um, you know, I do the same thing. And as you shift your tunings around, you just naturally happen upon new things. So it's a good way to jumpstart creativity. All right, Kurt. Like you mentioned before, you played Trainer uh, YRM, you Marshall JMP, you know Orange. I've seen you with Bad Cat. I've seen you affiliated with. But what are we hearing today, and what kind of you know would be a Converge touring amp? You know, hopefully in 2021. Ooh, Converge touring amp 2021 will probably just be Helix because we almost never play on our own gear. Um, but um, the stuff that I record in my studio most often, um, both both for Converge and for other sort of aggressive projects uh, is a mix of my um, late 70s JMP uh, 2204. Um, I've got a Dean Costello HMW, which is really awesome high gain amp when I need stuff to go chug chug. But sort of my, probably my favorite aggressive amp of all time is this weird little thing you can see in the background here. I'll, I'll include some photos of it um, called Sparrow's Sun, this purple thing. Uh, going into an Emperor 6x12, um, loaded with a bunch of different speakers, but the ones mic'd are uh, Eminence Texas Heats. Um, the uh, the Sparrow Sun is like a weird. It's a it's a guitar shop in in Belarus. Oh wow! And one of the people from the shop was a Converge fan, and he just sort of hit me up out of the blue. And I, I knew him a little bit, and uh, he hit me up out of the blue saying like, "Hey, we've made this amp." And we want you to try one, so I'm going to send it to you. And he sent me this amp, um, and it's it's definitely very handmade. Like it has hand wound inductors inside of it, um, but it sounded incredible. I ended up ordering a second one from them to use um, in my European tour rig. I've since shipped that back here, um, so I have two of them here. And I think there's only like four or five in the world, um, and I don't they don't seem to have plans to make any more, but it's just like this really incredible sounding amp. I don't know too much about the circuit. I know that the the gain pod is like a, is a dual pod, so it's controlling two tube stages at the same time. Uh, so it has a really wide range of gain, although I don't typically use it in clean at all. Mm. Um, the EQ is just like a regular old FMV, but there's also somewhere early, 
in the the circuit. I'm not exactly sure where. There's um, there's like an active inductor based mid range boost. So you know, kind of like a Neve sort of thing. I, I, I'm not I'm not sure the details of the circuit, but what it what it does in practice is uh, it's like an articulation control. So if you're you, it's kind of like what people do when they choose to use an EMG or put like a, a like a tube screamer or something at the front end of the ramp where they're like starving the base and boosting the level going into the front end of the amp. This this mid range control essentially does the same thing. So uh, by boosting mids going into the amp, it's um, it's sort of pushing that those the clear frequencies of guitar forward and also adding harmonic content so more sort of singing overtones um, and moving you away from the mud zone so you can have like a high gain tube amp that still has a lot of articulation so I, I really love that amp and I've been recording with it a lot for I don't know I think I've had it for six or seven years um, wow so yeah it's awesome awesome Man, amp. It, it is so the way that you say that it reacts are you doing because I know that sometimes you you'd, in previous setups you would use a drive more as like a volume boost and a bass cut with a f like uh, for for solos or you know when you want to really punch out through through the mix is that kind of subtracting that yeah but I still need to channel switch so I, I generally like would run the gain on you know 70% and then put a pedal in front of it and you know so I, I, I mean I don't actually go clean hardly ever but like I'll go from semi clean to clean by putting a pedal in front of it. Um, oh, you know, I, I forgot to mention this. Back in the trainer days, I actually just used to use a, a DoD EQ pedal as my distortion wow. before I was using the OS2. Um, and I started doing that with the GE7, actually, like around around the J Doe era of Converge, like when I was using mostly a V4, I would um, just like boost the level and make like a nice frowny face with the, uh, the mid boost on the GE7. Um, and push the amp that way, which is, you know, really kind of a similar thing to what the Sparrow Sun does. Because um, I wasn't trying to, like, get the distorted tone from the pedal. I just wanted a, a clean boost with, with, an, with a pre-emphasis in the mid-range in order to, like, push the head super hard. What do you like about the Texas Heats? I know that you've mentioned those previously just today and then other interviews when it comes to miking stuff. What do you like about the eminent speakers? Yeah, they're, they just have like this great bark to them, you know, real like responsive, like they don't compress too much. They're pretty, pretty neutral at a, in the frequency spectrum, I think, as far as like rock speakers go. You know, like if I try to use like greenbacks or something, I feel like there's this like spiky thing that happens at high gain that I don't like. Um, and then like 12Ls, there's like too much... Um, you know, too much throw, they're like too dynamic. And this, I don't know, it just feels like the right balance of like compression and um, aggression uh, and articulation for me. I'm also a really big fan of the, um, of the uh, Celestian Classic Lead 80. And I had um, WGS recone some for me lately. I think that they used to make a classic lead 80 inspired speaker but they don't anymore i could be mistaken about that but they they still had like recone kits for originals and their version of it sounds better than ever um and i could have just as easily picked picked my cab loaded with those um to do this to do this thing so right right now in that little that little intro thing i think i just had 
I just had a uh, AEA N22 turned on. Okay. Um, but I've got four mics on the cab, so I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to turn my back to you for a sec. Um, but I've got, uh, so I've got a, first thing you'll hear is an AEA N22, which is a figure of a active ribbon mic. It's a really nice sounding mic. If I were to mic in the center of the speaker, I'd probably be happy with only that mic. Uh, but ribbons are, you know, they're known for picking up the, the deep stuff in a very um, responsive way. I've pushed that to the side of the cone in order to capture, to, to focus it mostly on the low end. So if that intro little, like, Aerosmith thing was dark, that's probably why. Um, then uh, closer to the middle of the speaker, uh, on the left, next to the N22, we've got a Heil PR30. It's also a great um, large diaphragm dynamic mic that's super responsive. Um, that's a lot brighter. It's a cardioid mic. Um, the next thing over, there's a there's a stack. So um, they're both sort of aimed at the edge of the edge of the dust cap. The the mic that's the top top right is um, a mic I've been messing with recently called um, it's made by Rode and it's a reporter mic. Um, and I think there's a lot of merit to using something like that because it's an omnidirectional dynamic. So. With dynamic mics, we're, we're accustomed to them being cardioid microphones because they're often used on stages where there's monitors there and you need a cardioid pattern to reject feedback if, if it's a vocal mic or if it's um, on a drum set you know, and you're micing a floor tom with a dynamic mic or a snare drum, like you're trying to reject the cymbals that are adjacent to those drums. So having that cardioid pattern is really helpful in those situations, but for but one of the benefits of there's one of the benefits of the Nami microphone is that it has very little proximity effect. So, you know, as you turn the mic in different ways, talking into it or move it to or you know back and forth, the the uh, frequency response of the microphone doesn't change very much. And so, that's why like newscasters will use a um, dynamic omnidirectional microphone because they can in be interviewing people at different distances away, people who don't have good mic technique, and it kind of doesn't doesn't really matter. The mic is really forgiving for that. So the reason why I like it in a studio setting is, you know, I don't have to worry about, um, I don't have to worry about feedback from other microphones, and or from, excuse me, from monitors, and I also I have a good sounding room, so I don't have to worry about ambient sound or bad ambient sound leaking into the backside or the sides of the microphone. Um, and I'm mostly using it to, in the case of a vocal mic, to make it forgiving to a singer's positioning. But in the case of guitar, I can close mic the guitar amp um, and get just a single speaker tone without worrying about any of the comb filtering that happens um, from like miking a, a cabinet from a distance and, and trying to get it perfectly in phase between all four, or in this case, all six speakers of a 6x12. Um, and But it gives me a more because it doesn't have the the bass boost of a typical proximity effect um, it doesn't give me that unrealistic bass boost that I might have to EQ out of a conventional guitar microphone so that thing's really cool we're gonna hear that in a second that's choice number three and then choice number four is um, something I've been playing with recently it's called an SE microphones X1D it's a discontinued mic but um, they still make a version of it in their Titan microphone, and it's a large diaphragm uh, titanium sputtered 
condenser microphone. And so that has a really wide frequency response and also incredibly high SPL handling. Kurt, I know that you care so much about what you get for your tone in the studio and obviously it translates to on stage. Do you travel with a specific mic or request mics at venues when you do or because of your going maybe with the Line 6 you go direct? Yeah, lately it's it's I go direct with the Line 6. Previous to that I was using various um, analog cab sims like Palmer PDI-03 um, and I had a Rivera uh, rock. rock? Rock Crusher? Rock Rock Crusher. I forget which one. Rock, and it's not the, the Rock Crusher is the one with the, the graph EQ, I think. It's whatever the other, the, the slightly simpler version of it. Um, do I, I forget what it's called. Anyway, um, yeah, that stuff's cool. And, and being consistent night to night. And also, I, I have, uh, I always play a stereo guitar rig. So having the phase relationship between the two amps be very consistent is really important to me. And, um, so doing that without microphones, I feel is crucial because when you have invariably have a bouncy stage and two mics and everything's kind of moving around all the time, the phase relationship between the two amps is ever changing. So to, um, take that out of the equation, whether it's by using a amp sim, cab sim or analog cab sim, I think is crucial. And I've been doing that for quite a long time. Um, and but also when it comes to microphones, uh, I'm, I take an interest in it, but I'm also like, I have to distance myself a bit from it because I'm not a live sound engineer. I don't want to be a live sound engineer. And I also have some micromanaging tendencies and I don't, but I don't want to be a person who <laughs> micromanages. Um, so I trust our, um, our brilliant front of house engineer, Sean Johnson, um, to make good decisions and to make us sound good. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I, I don't travel with, with any of my own microphones other than, other than a vocal mic. And that's just for sanitary reasons. Gotcha. All right. Well, at this point, let's dive into what's, uh, what's at your look, I'm assuming at your knees. Yeah. Well, no, let's, let's hear each of these mics. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to turn on like a pedal just for some grit. So that's the the AAN22. Here's the uh, Heil PR30. All right, so that's that's the cardioid dynamic. Now let's check out that reporter mic, which is the Omni dynamic. And now the X1D, which is the SE, SE large diaphragm condenser. That one's got a lot more top end sizzle and a lot more depth. Uh, turn them all on and just quickly try to find a good blend. I'm probably gonna favor the dynamics just for uh, clarity. That'll work. We'll talk about pedals. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So, um, 
Got a bunch of pedals here. A lot of them are ones that I made um, or collaborated on. And um, these are things that are, uh, you know, staples around the studio here. And one of the nice things about having a studio and designing pedals is that, like, I can figure out, like, what do I have a need for? And what, like, what, what don't I have in my studio? And, and what sort of pedal design would complement what I already have in the studio well? Um, and also just to, you know, the scientific curiosity of, like, what makes something tick? Like, I actually really would love to know how Dave uh, at Fox Rocks makes an Octron 2 sound so good. And I have no idea. And <laughs> someday I kind of want to, like, I, I don't want to clone it, but I would like to know how it works um, just for my, <laughs> for my own benefit. Um, so the first thing in this chain here is um, a collaboration with Electronic Audio Experiments. John Snyder is a brilliant... Uh, electrical engineer PhD kind of kind of guy um, and um, he and I have been working together on this thing for quite a while it's um, it's called OGR for stands for optical gain reduction and um, it is a an optical compressor really good sounding optical compressor that's used on basically every bass track recorded here for the past few years um, and it also has just a basic Baxendahl EQ but it's it's super useful for a lot of things. Let me just I'll just play around with it for a minute. And you can also has a nice um, nice gain reduction meter too, and it's super transparent in in its uh, in its compression. I'm gonna turn down the level so you can hear what this thing does a little better. holds the gain even so if you're just trying to like you can make it you know you can do like a compressed kind of quacky thing like uh, you can do that kind of stuff you can do like ooh, I've got an Ebo here like if you crank up the comp and sort of even out the uh, the EQs, like... Ah! My Ebo! <laughs> this is like the, everybody's Ebo problem. It just exploded, and I think... Oh, wow, it really exploded. Oh, well. Do you guys do a blooper reel for this show? No, but we I'm can sure start. I'm sure you could. Yeah. I'll, I'll be your first... I'll be your first... Aww. I'll be your first blooper guest. Um, well, anyway, I guess I won't be doing any more post-rock. Uh, but, you know, like, it's it's not quite like origin effects level slide rig kind of, kind of compression, but you can get really insane sustain out of this thing. And the EQ just sounds so good for everything. Like, I love even just turning the compression down and just turning up the gain and, like, a little bit of treble boost, a little bit of bass cut, and just... You know, just cool rock pedal. Um, I wish we were doing bass too, because like the bass, the bass sounds are so great out of this. Uh, it just does a really great job of keeping the clack out of control, under control, and the 
the low end even. You know, so many bass players have a hard time, like, especially people who use two pickups have a hard time getting the the notes to be consistent over the entire, or the volume of the notes consistent over the entire fretboard or across the entire set of strings. And this thing does a really good job of, of leveling that stuff out. So really excited about that pedal. Um, let's go down the line here. The SBD he, over here is another one of mine. And it's actually the first thing that I designed by myself. Um, I mean, I had help, obviously, from... Did you have any inspiration in, like, what you're trying to chase down with the SBD? Yeah, so the SBD, I was just kind of curious. I'm a, I'm a big fan of um, Brad... Uh, shit, what's his last name? From Fu Manchu, um, bass, the bass player. He, he makes Creepy Fingers effects. Yeah. Um, and he posted a video of um, a Super Beetle Distortion uh, circuit that he had made, and I just thought it was awesome. But he's also such a ripping guitar player that like everything he makes sounds awesome, <laughs> which is sort of a, a problem of all a lot of pedal demos is like, you know, when someone rips, just they just make gear sounds good. Um, but anyway, I, I was intrigued by that circuit, and I was, I had done, you know, we could talk about it later if you want. But the, the the Brutalist Junior business card that's that was a Nick Williams design for for me. Um, I hadn't designed anything yet myself, and. I thought doing this like Super Beetle distortion design would be um, it would be like a fun first project because it's a basically a fuzz face, just different values and you know component selection stuff. However, I took it a step further and said, well, let's do like what we do with the Sparrow Sun amp and do an active mid boost in front of the fuzz circuit, and that also gives you the side benefit of buffering the fuzz face. Um, and then let's also do like what we do with metal amps um, in that we kind of starve the bass going into it and then boost the bass on the way out. Um, so the the mid and bass controls in this thing are positioned so that we can do that. So the mid control happens before the fuzz, the bass control happens after the fuzz, and they're both boost only. So like uh, I'm guessing here, but I should be fairly transparent with the fuzz all the way down and the EQs all the way down. <laughs> So let's give it some fuzz. Should probably go downtown. So that's just straight fuzz, but we bring in some mid-range and we get a lot more clarity and a lot more like harmonic contact. To, you really got to feel it in person. Um, and the bass control, we don't. This is a pretty fixed sound, so we don't really need too much. But I'll bring that up a little bit. All right, and now I'm going to back off the mid a little bit, and as promised, I'll give you some octron. So there's a couple of things I like to do with the Octron, like if you kill the direct signal entirely, 
which actually isn't that clean of a direct signal, and dime the octave down and the octave up, you get some really funky stuff. like don't track super well so you get all kinds of fun garbly kind of things what, what I use it most commonly for around the studio here is lead guitar stuff um, and I use this when I have an analog pedal on board on tour I definitely bring this stuff um, bring the Octron with me and use it for all my solos um, and uh, I'll, I'll generally set like the direct signal about 50% the octave down about 50% the octave up cranked and the reason why I like it is because you can get all kinds of like weird overtones and like ghost notes that bend like the opposite direction that the guitar string is bending like if you do a double stop kind of thing like a it's weird right and like when i track solos here a lot of times i'll use like a floyd or something do some dive bombs but i never tour with guitars like that so that's my way of getting some weird kind of dive bomb vibes for for the few solos that I do in Converge Live. Do you ever mess with the PS3? Oh yeah, I have I have a PS3. I don't have it set up right here, but I use the PS3. So I use actually two two octave pedals um, when I'm playing live in Converge. Um, I should have set up the PS3 because um, so the 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 Fox Octron is an analog octave up and down. I'm not sure what the circuit is based on, um, and I'd love to know more about it, but I don't know anything. Uh, the PS3 is uh, digital octave and harmonizer, and you can do all sorts of different things with it, but the thing that I do most with it, I forget the mode number, but it's just digital octave up and octave down. And, you know, it tracks well in a pitch stabilities, say, um, from a pitch stability standpoint, but there's a lot of latency in that pedal, and when you're doing it in octave up and octave down mode, the latency of each octave is actually different. So um, if you're familiar with the Converge song Plagues, um, you know, I'm just, at the beginning of the song, it's just like, dun, 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 dun. But because I've got the PS3 on during that, it, like each of my hits sounds like three hits. So it's like, vroom, 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 and it's got kind of neat a neat effect. So... Depending on what I'm doing, I'll use one of those two um, octave approaches. Typically, when I have the PS3 on, I also have um, like a reverb and/or delay on at the same time. Gotcha. The reason I asked is because you said that sometimes you'll use that pedal or an octave pedal in, in, in lieu of a, a Floyd Rose or something. And I know that uh, we talked to Stephen Brodsky, and he does something similar with PS boss pedals for that type of thing oh yeah yeah I mean, we used to call that pedal the cavenator because um, <laughs> it's just like the it but he uses like the glissando setting i forget it's like one i think it's one click away from the setting that i do where it does like you know you hit a note and then it goes like bring to like an octave above the note that you hit and it does it in like a almost like it's not quite an arpeggio arpeggio but it's like that kind of yeah, actually maybe it is an arpeggio um, sort of arpeggiates its way up to an octave above the first pitch you hit. And, you know, it's a similar effect to like a shimmer verb or something, but it's it's definitely its own thing. Um, Steve also uses super shifters a lot, yeah. and he does like dive bombs. He has like, he ha uh, last I checked, he had like two super shifters on his board. Yeah, one um, and up. Like a dedicated octave up and a dedicated octave down. Yeah. 
Well, I kind of cut you off there as you're going through your pedal board. You go ahead and move on to the next one. Yeah, okay. Um, let's uh, let's turn off this Octron. I'll turn off the SBD. I'll just pick up where I left off, and I'll, I'll try to get through this stuff a little quicker, too. Um, so another favorite of mine, super common pedal around the studio, is um, the GCI Crimson Cock. This one was hand-painted by my friend Ellie Gill. Uh, she's a great tattoo artist in, in Richmond. Um, and this is... Um, this pedal is the very first GCI pedal before the Brutalist Junior, um, before I started designing. Um, it, I, I kind of had a few, a few various range masters come through the studio and I realized what a great pedal that is, not, not only for its boosting capability, and, and, but for its ability to compress a signal. Um, and so I started working on refining that and I worked with my friend Rob Davis on it for a while. Um, he was like a former analog man person. And, um, but you know, more recently I've worked on it on my own. So this one, I, I'm I was actually trying to remember earlier. I can't remember if this is germanium or silicon, um, uh, in the first stage, but it's like a, it's a range master boost with a range control, which is just a, a cap blend on the input. Um, but because the, that first gain stage sort of beefs up the sound so much, actually starving the bottom. You have to starve the bottom end in order to make it sound flat. Um, and then I've also added a switch for a muff stage at the at the end of the thing, so if you need a little, uh, some extra boost. So there's really a lot you can do with this pedal, but I feel like it's, its strength is really in how it compresses. So I'm gonna turn down the gain, put the range kind of in the middle, and we first just try to get it sounding kind of neutral. Oh, we go back up down. Something like that. Um, so when you uh, you crank the you crank the boost, you know you get you get some boost and some grit, but it's uh, mostly what you're hearing is just the amp getting pushed harder. Um, so let's hear the what happens when you play with the range control. I feel like you can get kind of like, well, actually, we'll come back to that. So that's just some bright rock stuff, and then, you know, turn up the range control. It gets a lot thicker. Makes me want to do like a... Kind of Love sleep. Yeah. <laughs> it's such an, it's an incredible riff, but it, I, I can only play half of it because everybody plays it. It's, like it's turned into a guitar center riff. Um, well, let's, let's throw in some boost, and then you can really go, really go there. Um, so that's that's like sort of the darkest, uh, most kind of blown out sound it can do, um, and then. Back way down the the treble, we'll turn up some volume. Like I know this is nothing like what like Dave Navarro would do, but it gives me it just makes me want to play like.
So anyway, cool favorite of mine. Works great on bass too, and it's it's like a really good way if you're having trouble like getting a guitar and an amp to really play nicely together. Like you know, like if you feel like you really should have had single coils or humbuckers or something, you know, something different in order to like interface the guitar to the amp. That's that's a really good choice. Uh, this next thing down the line is. Um, pedal called Abi, which is this thing's um, unique and I think people uh, there's, there's not a lot of other, other, other pedals out there like this. What this is is a distortion that's based on a discrete op amp. So it uses um, uh, API 2520 format op amp as well as um, a JFET boost in front of the op amp and it's uh, internally Externally, it's at nine volts, but internally, it's running at thirty volts. Wow! Um, this is my this is my design, but I did I collaborated with Brian Sowers of Sour Sound on the power supply section of this pedal in order to um, effectively run this op amp at um, at thirty volts internally because it really doesn't like running single ended. It really wanted a bipolar supply, um, and it's it's a very um, it's not like it's not a nasty sounding pedal. It's just like what I I think of it as like a very classy pedal. And there's just four controls: volume, tone, gain, or sorry, volume, tone, clip, and gain. And what the clip is is um, a pot that sort of dials in how much hard clipping there is in the signal. So, you know, full counterclockwise is more clipping, but that reduces the output. So you've got to play with the uh, the output volume as you're adjusting the clipping. And then um, full counterclockwise is the clipping is uh, the hard clipping is essentially out of the circuit, um, and so when using it for bass, you generally would go more towards the no clipping, and guitar you generally go more towards the clipping. I generally run it in the middle, um, but let's hear how that sounds. Very like tubey, I guess. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn the volume way down. I'm going to drop D just so I can uh, play, uh, turn knobs with one hand and guitar with the other. Uh, so let's hear what the clipping control does. I mean, it sounds like shit when it's, the volume's turned all the way down, um, but you start cranking that up. That's a guitar center riff too. Let me do something else. really likes not having the gain turned all the way up like 
these things are meant to be really hi-fi op amps and not push to the limit. And when you push the thing to the limit, like it sags in a really cool way that reminds me of tubes. But for my playing style, I, I generally go with like a more bright kind of articulate thing, which is why I tend to favor the clipping down a bit, the gain back and it can just bark too. If you, if you couldn't tell, I like Rick Derringer. <laughs> Um, but okay, let's keep moving along. We already did the SPD. Um, this other fuzz here is like one of my most popular things. It's called a Jugendstil. Unfortunately, I don't have um, one here with the current graphics because they sold out. Um, but what it is, is a heavy fuzz pedal that has um, a HM2 style EQ that is sort of preset on full, but then a parallel blend between un-EQ'd and fully EQ'd. So rather than having individual knobs for each EQ band, we've just got one control that takes you from no EQ to maximum EQ. So it's like a super Swedish metal pedal. I mean, it's a different distortion circuit, so it's not intended to be a clone. It's intended to be like a different, um, a different take on the familiar sound, mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, there's so many bands using that now that I don't think there's any point in trying to clone it or, um, you know, I, what I want to do is find like what, what, what's cool about that sound and, and what can we do different that's also still kind of within the same family. Um, uh, there's also a companion pedal to the Yugen Steel called Yugen Teeth. That's like the bass version of, of the pedal. Um, so anyway, the, just with the loudness control all the way down, we get the un-EQ'd version of the fuzz, which... Decent heavy fuzz, not what it, it's not meant to be used like this. And actually, the, the new version with the final art sounds better too. But this is all I had with me. I did sneak one other control in there, which is a sweep control, which allows you to sweep the center frequency of the mid-band. You know, another another way to find some slightly different takes on that HM2 sound. I find that you'll like, based on whatever like the, the key of open is in your particular rig, I think you'll find, um, you'll find yourself gravitating towards a particular position on this mid sweep that reinforces the fundamental frequency of whatever your like, you know, heaviest open note is. Uh, okay, three pedals left. We're almost there. Well, Kurt, do, I was going to ask, do you stack these drives? Or are they kind of designed in the way that you use them as kind of standalone units? I know that you do the Octron with the SBD, but um, are these drives, do you stack them at all? Or are they kind of like you want them that voice to be voiced at that moment and then this voice to be voiced at that other moment? Yeah, the, the latter. I very rarely stack drives, um, but it's also because I very rarely play clean amps. I feel like the people who stack drives are people who play with like a lot of headroom mm -hmm. and, and 
um, clean clean tone coming out of their amps, whereas I'm much more likely to play like a, you know, I mean, here's my... I mean, like, my clean, it's not clean, it's not distorted, it's not super heavy, but you can play rock and roll with, like, that much gain, so it's just enough to, like, push it, push it over the top, and I'm, I'm almost always diming the output volume control on whatever dirt box I'm using, okay. um, just to push the amp harder. Um, so, let me just make sure I'm in tune one more time. Close enough for hardcore. Um... <laughs> I actually meant to slap a new label on this thing. I've been I'm shooting different names around for it. I think I'm gonna call it Onslaught. I don't think there's an Onslaught pedal out there yet. I don't think so. I, I was Googling around this morning I, and I found a few pedal names that I was shocked that no one had taken because almost every time I like Google a pedal name, it's taken. Um, but this thing is uh, a, a little design I happened upon kind of recently. It's, it's sort of unique. It's very simple. Um, it's very mid forward. And it's just like, I think like just the awesome, like the most ultimate like thrashy, genty, like articulate heavy guitar pedal that I've come across. And I'm working on doing up a run of these things. Um, I can't play anything remotely genty, so I'm not gonna try, but I'll try to play something thrashy for you. I think I'm gonna set, I'm gonna try to like dial it in so the, the, uh, the, the lowest part of the gain is a little less. I like 50 or 60% seems good for this amp. Oh no, I got it. I will play this. That's all I know about that, but it's got that like, you know, that clanky. Please forgive my playing. I haven't like played guitar at all in the past nine months. No need to apologize, man. It sounds great. Oh, thanks. Um, so anyway, I'm super. I'm super excited about this. Basically, the only guitar playing I've done has been to like tweak pedals. Um, <laughs> And I haven't like played a song all the way through, aside from the stuff I play on like my kids' ukulele, in a while. Uh, <laughs> all right, so um, let's let's leave the GCI world here for a minute. And um, has anybody has anybody done anything on this Demodash videotape echo yet? I don't think so. This thing is awesome. This is like one of the coolest analog delay pedals. And if only for one reason, I mean, it had there's a lot of reasons why it's awesome, but Here's here's what made me buy it. So it's in bypass right now. Still in bypass. So like there's other delay pedals that have like a momentary infinity mode, but you have to have the pedal on and like and active at the time. Whereas like this one you don't even have to have the thing on and you can hit it with an infinity. So if you're just like doing a solo. Or... Mm -hmm. 
whatever, you know. Like you can just throw that in in the middle of a lick and not even have to turn on delay. So that is super cool. Um, but, you know, as a delay pedal in and of itself, it's just rad too. Oh, it does a bunch of like pitch wobbling stuff. It's like a bucket brigade thing. I, th I think it's like a bunch of PT2399s, but I'm not sure. It can, it can wobble a lot. I mean, it's, <laughs> it almost caused like chorus. A little out there for me, but I like a little bit of just a little bit of modulation. It just sounds a little more tapey, I guess. more subtle then with some reverb the, the fizz you're hearing on the sound is mostly from this amp this amp does not really love being clean Ambience. Oh, do you want to see my guitar ambience trick? Yes, please. Here, this, uh, this, I'll let, I'll let you guys in on this a little secret here. Let's, um, I'm gonna turn up the mix on this delay and on this echo a little bit, and um, let's get like a, hold on, let's do dad gap. Yeah, there you go. Uh, take a slide. And uh, tune your guitar to something that sounds nice, open, and then just little, just find a find a fret, um, and just do little circles. Sometimes I'll even play. I'll even, ow! I just cracked my head. All right, another for the blooper reel. I was gonna say another blooper. Um, sometimes I'll even play guitar lefty or like in my lap, because like I'm used to like making a picking motion with, this is a picking motion by the way, uh, with my right hand and then I'll just, I'll ride the knob. So basically, ride the volume knob with my you're ready hand. to join a voice rock band. Sorry, say that again? I say you're ready to join a post rock band. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that stuff. I could do it. Um, I mean, I do a lot of ear candy like that in Converge, and you know, we've got a little side, a little side project called Blood Moon, and I do some of that stuff in there. I mean, I try to not have it be um, my first post rock band, which a lot, <laughs> which you hear a lot, um, but it's it's definitely it's definitely fun to make ambient ambient stuff out of like really conventional instruments. So uh, it's fun. Um, this astronaut pedal, um, the thing next to the, the, t the videotape echo, is uh, made by a Russian company called Shiftline that I don't think get enough credit in the States. They, it's a really incredible company. I mean, you might call them like the Russian Strymon or something like that. Um, 
but their um, their astronaut um, multiverb space unit, as they call it, is um, just a really cool sounding reverb. And when we were we were talking about the cave and shimmer verb kind of thing earlier. This thing does like a reverse shimmer verb, and that's the setting that I have it on right now. So it got, it does rather than doing the the reverb send up an octave, it does the reverb send down an octave. You put it on like put it on like fully wet. Quite go fully. It never quite goes fully wet, but actually, let me get some compression in there too. You can go up with it also. That explains why things aren't where I thought they were. Um, <laughs> how do you how do you get a Russian pedal? Because I, I don't know how much like their gear gets into our waters, so to speak. How do how did you get well, turned on to that? You tour Russia first of all. <laughs> uh, I you know so so something I haven't actually talked about this that much, but like when I tour, especially like my first time in another country, I try to find some gear um, that like I I've been I look I went the first time I toured Russia I. I was definitely like trying to find some old Russian microphones and like Russian pedals and like I f naively thought that the Kramer Gorky Park like Balalaika guitars that they made were were just going to be on every street corner in every pawn shop in Moscow and you know the, the, any anybody who's like hip to like gear in in Russia is like they're selling on eBay and Reverb and stuff because um, they know they can do well um, selling to the rest of the world um so i didn't i didn't have a whole lot of luck there but a friend um introduced me to some of the engineers at shift line who were in st petersburg and you know we're definitely like cut from the same cloth you know they were just born there and i was born here but um uh and, or and they're just like i don't know russian science they're just so advanced about so many things and these guys are just like brilliant in their attention to detail both in their in their sonic craft, but also in like their design aesthetic and um, and the the way in which they craft things both mechanically and physically, I just I always found really impressive, and I've stayed in touch with them since having having met them on a, a tour through through Russia, and they actually came they came to Nam I think in 2019 and stopped by and. Um, I had the earlier version of this, and we we swapped it out um, when they came through, came came to visit me and stuff. So um, yeah, I've, I've maintained kind of a friendship with those people, and I, I really like the the stuff that they make. Awesome. 
that's one of the coolest things about being on tour. So you know the the uh, I mean I'm also known for the uh, I didn't set it up today, but the the Providence Stampede pedal, yeah, which was the the beginning sort of the beginning uh, inspiration of the Brutalist Junior DIY PCB um, was the Providence Stampede. It's not you know it's not a clone, but it's inspired by, um, and that was something that I purchased um, on my first trip to Japan. And, uh, you know, at, at the time, I think I might have actually been using a metal zone. I it was either using the GE7 or a metal zone at the time. And then, like, went to Japan, got this um, got this uh, Providence uh, SDT1, I think is the model number, uh, Stampede pedal, the, the yellow and black one, and, and plugged it in at our show that night in Tokyo and, uh, you know, fell in love with it. And then ended up using that on a lot of Converge recording and touring for the next for the next few years. Kurt, now, you know, all these devices you got, is there anything specific that you're trying to use to power it, or you kind of just use well, whatever you have laying around? Yeah, so I really like this um, OneSpot Pro, the CS12. I have two of them, so I have one that's on my analog pedal board, and I have one that just floats and generally lives in my control room. So when bands come through, like this is the thing we're using to power most pedals, and it can do just about whatever voltage and um, and current that I need it to do. And it's always been clean. You know, I know some people like to complain about just a single one spot sometimes, but this thing's really been great for me. Um, it also auto senses um, incoming power, so when I go to Europe or Japan or whatever, I don't have to. I don't actually have to switch anything on it. Um, I think I believe only like the maybe it's only the ac output there is a switch on it but i think it only affects like the ac output if i recall correctly which i don't use so i don't have to do anything on it um and then after my pedal chain i'm going through a radial sgi which is um, a buffered um, cable extender so it runs through the mic snake from my control room to the live room and it takes care of any um, noise issues and any cable capacitance issues so it allows me to you know, sound like I'm standing in front of the amp. Now, is that something you decide that you wanted to have in terms of having the amp in the live room? Because sometimes recording setups will have uh, access to the amps in the, the tracking room. Well, full disclosure, when I built this studio in 2003, I knew a little bit less about electronics and I kind of screwed up wiring my speaker patch bay and tied all the grounds together. Um, I was supposed to use plastic jacks, I used metal, metal jacks. Um, and it's now 17 years later, I still have not fixed my mistake. Uh, I <laughs> have bought all the stuff to fix it, and I plan on doing it soon. Um, so at some point I may end up putting the head in the control room. Um, but for now, I kind of like actually having the head in the live room on top of the amp because it forces the guitar player to get a tone standing in front of the amp um, rather than um, you know doing it remotely. The you know, which has its ups and downs, but like, I really want to get the source sounding right before I even mic it. And so I feel like, how do I know how to mic an amp if we're not certain that the mic sounds good yet? Kurt, now, you know, I don't want you to divulge any secrets or projects you're working on, but I would like to know if there was anything you would want to share about maybe gear-wise that might be coming out of GCI in the future in 2021. Is there anything you want to tell us about? Sure. Well, you know, this thing that I'm going to call Onslaught is coming up. Um, you Can Steal with the correct graphics is in production right now. So I've got a big batch of those coming. And whenever I put these up for sale, they sell it super quick. Um, I've got some more You Can Teefs, the base version of this on the way. And um, I've got a pedal called Bad Larry that's on the way. Um, 
The thing I'm really excited about is um, all that stuff, of course, Onslaught being new. The newest thing is always the most exciting. Um, uh, I really feel like if I can get this in the hands of some gentlemen and gentlewomen, um, they will they will love this thing. And uh, but then of course guitars, you know, and 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 new guitar designs, because um, what I like more than anything in the world is just creating stuff. And for me, it like doesn't really matter that much <laughs> what it is as long as I'm feeling creative. And whether that's making a song or making a mix or making a guitar or making a pedal, and you know getting the opportunity to constantly be creating new stuff that is um, bettering people's um, experience with making music, then, uh, you know, I'm super happy about that. So, yeah, excited about all the new things coming up, coming down the line and also all the new records I'm working on. Well, if people want to keep track of the stuff that you got coming out, whether it's guitars or pedals or anything like that, where should people go online to, you know, keep track of you, whether it's website or Instagram or something? Yeah, I mean, I'm not great about, like, email announcements and all that, and marketing in general, really. I'm an engineer, I'm not a marketer. Uh, but I, I know I post about stuff on my Instagram, which is God City Music. Um, I post about it on my Facebook, which is just Kurt Ballou. And there is um, GodCityInstruments.com, where um, I sell my wares. Um, there's also a, a Facebook group called um, GCI DIY PCB Builders. I think, and uh, but you have to agree to the rules to join the Facebook group. Otherwise, I will not accept your request. Um, uh, and all, all the rules are is just I'm not going to be an asshole to people. Um, so uh, so yeah, so that that's actually a really great community where people that are doing uh, any number of the DIY PCB projects that I sell. Um, th those people. Uh, have an opportunity to converse about their projects and kind of show off and ask questions for other uh, from other builders um, about about their projects. So it's a really really good community over there too. So yeah, that's that's the stuff. Check it out. Awesome, Kurt. Well, again, I appreciate you talking gear with us and hanging out. You know, given the circumstances, you got you went up, you got four mics, you got your multiple cameras, you went above and beyond. I, we really appreciate it from your guitar. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I hope it uh, hope it all works out. I hope it's in focus. <laughs> I hope it's in focus, and if not, we got a plenty for the blooper reel. Yeah, and um, and I hope you accentuate all of my bloopers. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, thanks for everyone. Stay safe out there. All right, thanks.